uh, reading in verse number 5 down through verse number 7, just as a uh, uh, springboard, and uh, then we'll go back and try to couple up uh, from the time of which Joseph was in prison to the time that he met his uh, brethren. But let's read these verses. The Bible said in verse 5 of Genesis 45, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now I want to preach on this subject tonight, Joseph the Savior. Now I didn't say he was a Savior, I think verse number 7 is clear, that God used him as a Savior, he said, to save your lives by a great deliverance. And I want to put a little clause with that and say, Joseph the Savior, he is like Jesus. Now, I want to say in the beginning that Joseph is not Jesus. He is a great Bible character, as there are many, but he's nowhere near Jesus. And none of us should ever even try to take that position. Uh, Joseph is a man of God, a great man of God, but Jesus is the God-man. Joseph gave his life for his brethren, but Jesus died for the whole world. Joseph lived by faith, but Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Joseph was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh, but Jesus sits at the right hand of God. I love Joseph, don't you? But Joseph never did love me because he never did know me. But thank God the Lord Jesus loves me tonight. And as they sang the song, he knows me, and I'm glad he loves me. Now, I want you to notice with me some of the events leading up to this point. I'm looking back uh, in chapter 41 in verse number 39. I notice that Joseph finally gets out of prison, and he is exalted. Uh, verse 39 of chapter 41 said, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, uh, for as much as God has shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all people be ruled. Only in throne will I be greater than thou. So Joseph's taken out of prison now. He is prime minister uh, in Egypt. He interpreted a dream that said there would be seven of the best years for crops that's ever been known. And then immediately following that, there would be seven of the worst years that have ever been known. And the bad years would be so bad that they would eat up the good years. Now, the next passage of Scripture that we pick up on is in chapter 42 and verse 1 and 2. Now we are two years, the seven good years have passed, and, the, and two of the bad years have already taken place. We're into two of the bad years. And now Joseph's brethren are coming down into Egypt because that they are hungry. The famine has reached there. And uh, they need uh, food, so they come down. And in verse number 1 and verse number 2, the Bible said, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, uh, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? He said, Behold, I've heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. So now his brethren go down uh, into Egypt, and in verse number 7 through verse number 9, he is introduced, uh, Joseph is introduced again to his brethren. He knows them, but uh, they don't know him. Verse 7, And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them, and said unto them, Whence come you? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. 
And uh, Joseph remembered the dreams that he dreamed of them. And he said, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land are ye come. So Joseph knows these boys, and uh, he speaks roughly unto them. They do not know him. And uh, he says unto them, You're spies. And they said, No, we're not. Uh, we've got uh, one other brother. He's back at home, the youngest brother. And he said, the other brother is not. Well, he was because Joseph was standing right before them, but they didn't know who he was. And uh, so uh, he says to them, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to keep one of you. And he keeps uh, Simeon behind in verse 19 and 20. And he said, the rest of you boys go back. And he said, I don't want to see you until you come back with that youngest boy. I want to see that youngest boy. And by doing that, you can prove to me that you're not spies, but uh, you are telling the truth. Well, you and I know that if uh, Joseph uh, had not known these boys, he would not have known who the youngest boy was. And they could have just went and picked up any old boy and brought him down there and fooled Joseph. But see, Joseph knows Benjamin. And he wants to find out if they've done the same thing to Benjamin as they did to him. And so he says, bring that boy down here. They don't know what it's all about. And uh, so they go back. And as they go back, uh, the Bible tells us in verse 35, when they get back home, they tell their daddy. Uh, they say, daddy, we got down there and said, that guy that's prime minister down there, Zephnaphaniah, said, he was rough to us. And he said we were spies and said he kept Simeon. And he said we can't even come back unless we bring uh, Ben with us. And they opened up their sacks and lo and behold, each one of them had their money in the mouth of the sack. Now, you can imagine how that shook them up. Verse 21, 22 tells us how that shook them up because now... They know that uh, the prime minister of Egypt thinks that they are spies and they are liars. And how in the world are they going to take this money But How are they going to convince him that they opened up their sacks and lo and behold, here's this big pile of money in the sack? They know that he's not going to believe that or they figure he's not. And uh, so it's really got them upset. I mean, they are, they are fixed. And the daddy says to him, you're not going back. I've done lost Joseph. And I'm not going to lose his brother. You can just forget it. He's not going back down there. But we find in chapter number 14, verse 13 and 14, that finally they get so hungry that the daddy gives in. And he tells them, take your brother and arise and go again to the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He said, go ahead, but for God's sake, I hope you'll come back. I just can't stand another death in this family. And uh, so they head back down there. But they, again, they don't know who Joseph is. And when they get down there, things have kind of turned. I'm telling you, they're so confused. They're as confused as a a termite and a yo-yo. When they get back down there, they're going to try to figure out how to explain how they come up with all this money. And already they're expected to be spies, but when they get down there, they find out that, a, that, that they've been invited to supper. And there's a feast that is spread for them. And uh, they are invited to eat in verse 24 and verse number 25. The Bible says the man brought them into Joseph's house and gave them water, washed their feet, and so on, and made them ready. Uh, present against Joseph came at noon, uh, for they heard they was going to eat bread there. They even told this guy about the money. They thought this was going to be a big issue. He said, oh, that ain't nothing. He said, probably your God did that. <laughs> they didn't figure they knew uh, down there about their God. And uh, so uh, everything goes well. They... they sit Benjamin down, all of them eat supper. Uh, Joseph won't eat with them because the Egyptians would not eat with the Hebrew. And uh, he didn't want to give himself away. And so when it's all over with, he sends them away and they're just as happy as they can be. Man, they got out of there. I mean, just such a difference. And so they go on riding back. 
And uh, and chapter 44, uh, or, or chapter number 42, uh, verse 1 and 2 and 12, as they, as they head back, uh, the army of, of Joseph heads out after them. And as they head out after them, uh, that's in chapter 44, uh, verse 1 and 2, Joseph says to the steward that's over his house, said, I want you to take my silver chalice, my silver cup, and I want you to put it in the youngest boy's sack. Now, he's got a reason for this. And so they do. They put it in the youngest boy's sack. But now the boy doesn't know it, and the others don't know it. And they start back up out of Egypt. Man, they think, man, we, we, we just, this is working great. And they don't get very far away until they look behind them. Man, the dust is stirring up as they're coming after them. And they overtake them. And the steward says to them, How in the world can you do this? They said, Do what? said, You know my master, he's a diviner. He, he can tell when something's happened. And one of you fellas has stole his cup, his favorite cup. They said, No, we ain't stole it. Now, can you imagine them boys? Now, I told you in the beginning, they wasn't Sunday school boys, choir boys. Uh, two of them murdered a whole town. One of them had uh, a relationship with his own stepmama, and another one had a relationship with his own daughter-in-law. They're not Sunday school boys. They're mean. And uh, can you imagine as they look at each other, and the guy's accusing them, saying, one of you's got the cop. And I can imagine Judah saying, Reuben, good grief, man, not again. And Reuben says, no, honest, not this time. And they start from the oldest and they open the sacks and go all the way down. And lo and behold, would you believe it, went through all ten of them boys and they was clean as a whistle, no cup. And now they knew Benjamin didn't have it, so they were scot-free. But they opened up Benjamin's sack and guess where that cup was? Right there in Benjamin's side. And they said, well, we're going to have to take Benjamin back. The man that's got the cup has to go to prison. And when they did that, I'll tell you, it shook them boys up heavily. They began to plead on Benjamin's behalf. And even Judah uh, said in verse 33, Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad as a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with the brethren. You know what Joseph is doing? He's wanting to find out what their heart is like. He wants to find out if they're the same boys that sold him. If they were, what they would do is they'd leave Benjamin behind because, you know, Benjamin's his only full brother. And he probably took the position in the eyes of his daddy that Joseph had. And so Joseph wanted to see how they felt about his little brother. That's why he worked that up like that. Boy, I'm telling them old boys began to weep and cry around there. One of them said, listen, you let that boy go and I'll stay in his place. Joseph said, that's all I want to hear. In verse number 45, verse 1 of chapter 45. And Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried. Calls every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Now, let me mention four things or four ways in which Joseph is like Jesus out of these verses that I've mentioned or highlighted. I want you to notice with me first of all, Joseph was like Jesus in that in our text, he is giving his life to change men's future. Now, I notice that Joseph's brethren are unaware of what was coming. They did not know that there was going to be a famine. Joseph's the only one that knew that, and he revealed that to the king through an interpretation of a dream. These brethren were unaware of what was coming. They were unaware of what happened to Joseph from the day that they sold him until the day that uh, they became aware that he was prime minister 
in the land of Egypt. They were unaware of any of the circumstances and situations that were put together for one reason, and that was that they might be saved. Have you thought about it? Every night that Joseph spent in prison, every ache and pain in the land of Egypt, every time he had to bow and serve and work his fingers to the bone until they bled, Every single day, every single moment, every single second that he spent in the land of Egypt, he spent there not for himself, nor because of anything that he had done, but all of that was spent there so that God might prepare a way of salvation for these boys, his brethren, who would certainly die in the famine if Joseph was not prepared to deliver them. Have you thought about it long before you were aware of it? Long before you were ever even in existence? There was a God-man in this world, the Lord Jesus, who had never transgressed or ever committed a sin. But every night he spent in this world, every rock he laid his hand upon, every time he was smitten on the face for every hair that was plucked from his beard, everything that Jesus went through, he went through for you and I who were unaware of what he was going through and unaware of what we would go through if he did not go through it. Jesus became our substitute in this world so that we would not perish and die in our sins and go to hell. Joseph is giving his whole life so that he might save men from their future. They are unaware of what is coming. They are unprepared for what is coming. What are they going to do about the famine? Nothing. Because when we pick up in chapter number 42, they are as hungry as anybody else is. No doubt their cattle have perished and died during this famine. They have nothing. And they also will die. They are unprepared. There is nothing that they can do to withstand this great uh, famine that has come as a result of the hand of God. Well, I ask you tonight, what can man do to prepare himself for what he is going to face in the future? There is nothing that man can do in and of himself that he might save himself from the hell that he will face in the future or from the judgment of God that will come upon every man, a boy, and girl in this world. There is only one way to escape the judgment of the future, and that is to trust in the one who has prepared the way, and that is the Lord Jesus when they got to Egypt, they didn't go down there and have to jump in and help Joseph save the world. When they got down to Egypt, they didn't have to jump in and help Joseph save them. They didn't say, well, now, Joseph, we're here. We found out who you are. Now, what do we need to do to help you out? He would have said, you don't have to do nothing. I've already done it all. I've got to prepare. All you've got to do is come. Glad that old-fashioned salvation's not me building a bridge or climbing a ladder or trying to help God out, but old-time salvation is me trusting the one who has already done it all. They're unaware. They're unprepared. And certainly they are unworthy for what Joseph has done for them. They, with their own hands, sold him. They with their own hearts cursed them, cursed Joseph. They hated him, the Bible said, on three occasions. And everything that is happening unto him is as a result of what they have done unto him. They are unworthy of the least of his blessings and of the least of the sacrifice that he has gone through to save them. But thank God he went through it anyhow. I want you to know tonight I'm not worthy of the cross. I'm not worthy of the blood that he shed. I am not worthy of salvation. I'll tell you, my heart was anti-God and anti-Jesus over 31 years ago, but he died anyhow. 
come to seek and to save those that are lost. He is giving his life to change men's future. He is the substitute. Joseph is the substitute for his brethren. He's like Jesus because Jesus is the substitute for your sins and for mine. Now, the second thing I want to point out to you, Joseph is like Jesus, not only in that he is giving his life to change men's future, but Joseph is like Jesus in that he is leading men, leading men unto repentance. Now, there's not a lot of preaching done on repentance anymore. Our emphasis in this hour is with a shallow gospel that says, Pray this little prayer and read this little passage and we'll sign you up and baptize you and you're ready. And that's why our churches are filled with lost folks that have went through all of these little uh, uh, rigmaroles and, and have done all of these little things that we've asked them to do, but there has never been an ounce of genuine Holy Ghost repentance in their heart. There's never been a fear and a dread of God and a, and a turning from sin. But I think that salvation involves repentance. Uh, and Joseph realizes this, and before he ever reveals himself to them, he brings them to repentance. Now, I know that's a bitter, sweet experience. It was for me. It is for every sinner. But the Bible said it is the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. It's a good God that will make you miserable. And a good God that will cause you to fear. And a good God that will cause you to realize that you are a sinner. And here we find that Joseph is doing that. Look with me in verse number uh, uh, 21, how how Joseph works on these boys. And, and boy, conviction begins to, to show up in their hearts. Oh, look at it. The Bible said, They said one to another, We are verily guilty. Now here we see a confession. <laughs> it's probably the first time that they have ever audibly owned up to what they did to Joseph. But, I tell you, the pressure is on. They get along and they begin to talk and they say among themselves, Oh, we are verily guilty. They make a confession as to the evil deeds and sins that they are committed. And then conviction falls upon them. They said, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul. Look in verse 28. He said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in the sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, and said one to another, What is this that God has done unto us? Sounds to me like there's ten boys here that's fallen under conviction. Thank God for the hour and the time of conviction that falls upon a heart. And he begins to realize, can you remember that day and that hour? Boy, I can, 31 years ago. I can take you to the place where for the first time I met God Almighty and fear struck my heart and I felt as though that if I took another step, I'd drop off into hell. I realized I felt so wretched and, and so sinful, I felt like I was the greatest sinner in all the world. That's Holy Ghost conviction. And honey, I'm here to tell you that ain't nobody can get saved until the Holy Ghost has revealed their sin and revealed Christ unto them. We can go through all of our little programs we want to, all of our little plans and promotions, but until that sinner has been shown by the Spirit of God his condition, he will not want to be saved, let alone get saved. Repentance fell on these old boys and they began to confess. Thank God for old-time conviction, don't you? I heard the story about a, an old colored fellow that lived down here in, in uh, Georgia years ago back when there were slaves. And uh, 
He was a straw boss over the colored workers. His name was Sambo. And uh, they were having revival. The colored folks were having revival. And uh, the plantation owner, the white man, decided he's going to go down there and see what that's all about. So he did. When he got down there, the old black preacher couldn't read his name in boxcar letters, but he knew Jesus, and he was preaching him. And the Holy Ghost got to stirring, and the, 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 the old plantation owner got under conviction. Amen. Went back home, wrestled around the bed all night, got up the next morning, and he went to look up old Sambo, the straw boss. And he said, Sambo, met him going across the field. He said, Sambo, was at your meeting last night? He said, yes, sir, boss, we see you. He said, well, you had a mighty good preacher down. He said, yes, sir, he preached the whole counsel of God. He said, well, now, Sambo, he said, you know, I ain't had no time for religion. I've been trying to work on this plantation. But he said, if what that man said down there was so, he said, I'm a lost man, and I'm going to hell. And he said, Sambo, I want to be saved. Could you tell me how to be saved? He said, you sure you want to know, boss? He said, I sure do. He said, well, now, boss said, you know where that hog pen is? said, you go up there and crawl in that hog pen, go up into the northeast corner up there and get down that mud hole and said, you call on Jesus, he's going to save you. The old white plantation owner said, Sambo, don't, don't josh with me like that. He just turned and walked away. But he couldn't get away from that spirit. And that night he went back to the meeting. And uh, the old preacher preached hell hot and heaven sweet and the Spirit of God come down and he got deeper under conviction. And he, and he went back to the house and tried to sleep and couldn't sleep that night. And the next morning he looked old Sambo up again. He said, Sambo, I came back to your meeting again last night. He said, yes, sir, boss, we see you down there. That we stayed after the meeting and prayed for you. The Lord put some sense in you. You get saved. <laughs> He said, well, now, Sambo, he said, I told you yesterday. I told you that I wanted to be saved. I want to know how to be saved. He said, you pulling my leg. He said, Sambo, would you tell me how to be saved? He said, you sure you want to know, boss? He said, I sure do. He said, well, now, boss, you know where that hog pen is. He said, you go up and crawl over in that hog pen, go up in the northeast corner and get down that mud hole and call on Jesus. He said, it's going to save you right there. The old white boss got a little tempered and he just turned and walked away. That night again, there was a pull on his heart. Went back to the camp meeting down there. The old color fellow preaching again. And I tell you, heaven come down. Went back to the house and tried to sleep. About three o'clock in the morning, he lit the old lantern and went across the field over the bunkhouse and beat on the door. Old Sambo come to the door and said, Boss, man, what is it? He said, Sambo. He said, I'm lost, I'm lost. And I feel like that if I take another step, I'll step off into hell. And Sambo, don't pull my leg anymore. Will you tell me how to be saved? Old Sambo said, boss, you really want to know? He said, I want to know like never before. He said, well now, boss, said, you know where that hog pen is? said, you go up and climb over in that hog pen, go up in the northeast corner and get down that mud hole. said, you call on Jesus. said, I know he's going to save you. They said, the old white boss said he just turned around with a lantern and started across the field up toward the hog pen. Amen. Sam Boyle followed him every step. He went up there and he threw one leg going, the other leg going, and he started to jump down uh, into the hog pen. No Sam Boyle howled and said, boss man, boss man, what you done? He said, Sambo, I'm, I've got to get saved. I'm going in there. Oh, he said, now hold it, boss man. Don't do that. He said, Sambo, you told me the only place I could get saved is up in that hog pen and down in that mud hole. He said, if that's the only place, Jesus will save me. He said, I'm not going up. He said, no, boss man, wait just a minute. He said, you don't have to go up there and get down into that mud hole and calls on Jesus. Says, you just got to be willing. Hallelujah. I'm telling you. So it is with all time salvation. I believe when you get on the Holy Ghost conviction, you get willing to do anything. 
problem is nowadays nobody's willing, but everybody's going through the motions. Still takes it, doesn't it? I had a preacher tell me just the other day, he said he had a fellow come into his office and, and ask him, he also worked, and this fellow come into his office and said, would you tell me uh, about this Jesus that you preach and the gospel? He started talking to him, and another man come in, and, and he finally said that young man just spun around and went to the opening of the door, and he pointed back and called the preacher's name, and he said, yeah, he said, I'm, I may be going to hell, but he said, I've had a good time on the way. And the preacher said, I pointed at him and called out his name and said, Yeah, you're right. Had a good time. The preacher said he went home that night and about 12.30 he got a telephone call and he said, Is that old boy? He said, He's a weeping, a crying. And he was, he was telling him, said, I, 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 I got to do something. I, I can't get those words out of, your, out of my mind. Had. Had a good time. He said, I've got to be saved. And the preacher told him, said, well, well, you can get saved right there where you're at. He said, no, I, I want to come to your church Sunday morning. And the preacher tried to talk him into getting saved right then. And he said, no, I'm going to wait. Well, he said, if you're going to wait, then hang the phone up. I'm going back to bed. And so they hung the phone up, said I went back to bed, and said I got up the next morning, went into my study, and that was my, my beeper, my pager, and said I looked at it and said I had a telephone call at 3.30 in the morning. And said I, he said he asked for him on the phone, and he said his wife said, well, he's in bed, said he's been up all night. He said, well, I need to speak to him. He said the old boy come to the phone, and said he hollered, and said, Brother Ken, you're too late, you're too late, you're too late. Said 3.30 in the morning, I went out by my old dog pen and fell on my face, and asked the Lord to save me. You're too late. That's the kind of salvation I like, don't you? I'm talking about Holy Ghost. I say that Joseph is like Jesus, that he is giving his life to change men's future, and he's leading men Unto repentance, it'll always lead you to a place of sickness, of self, and of sin. And then I want you to notice with me thirdly, Jesus is like, uh, Joseph is like Jesus in that he is forgiving men of their sins. Now this jumped out at me here in this text in a great way. You know how great the transgressions were for 17 years that they piled on Joseph. Uh, while he was at home. And, uh, and the scripture said they, they saw him. Uh, they saw the anguish. Verse 21 of chapter number 42 said, And we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear him. Joseph's uh, uh, begging and pleading with his brethren, Don't sell me, don't sell me. And said, We wouldn't even listen to him. Oh, they were mean. You know what the last thing that they did to him uh, just before they sold him. You know what the last thing was? Look, if you will, in chapter number 37 and verse 31. The last thing that these boys did in all their cruelty and all of their meanness, the last thing that they did. The Bible said, And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of goats and dipped the coat in blood. The last thing they did to Joseph before they sold him is they took his coat off his back. Boy, that's mean and cruel, wasn't it? But you know what the first thing Joseph did for them once he revealed himself unto them? Look in chapter 45 and verse 22. Now, if he's going to get even with them, if he's going to settle the score with them, going to be another story. But Joseph wants them to know that they are forgiven of all of their sins. So the last thing they did to him was took his car off his back. Look in verse 22. The first thing he does for them, to all of them he gave each man changes of raiment. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> the exact thing that they had done to him in harm, he turned around and did to them in good. You do know that the whole issue here was over a coat anyway. Them boys got mad because he got that, that uh, uh, tunic, uh, that coat that his daddy made. 
that symbolized position. Uh, long at the sleeves and long at the legs. And they wanted one of those coats. They wanted one so bad they was willing to kill to get one. And Joseph knew that. So the first thing he did is he gave them what they wanted. <laughs> See, that coat symbolized acceptance and it symbolized love. And they wasn't getting acceptance and they wasn't getting love. But he said, boys, I'm going to give you acceptance and I'm going to give you love. And the way I'm going to prove it is I'm going to put one of those coats on you. There were tunics that came all the way down, the arms and all the way down, the feet. And I can see those boys as they walk around like a peacock with that coat on, knowing that they now have position. They now are loved. And they now are accepted, not because they're good, not because they deserve it, but because He loves them in spite of who they are. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? You spend your lifetime trying to be accepted and loved and have some kind of position and you come to Christ and He'll give you every bit of that for nothing. Amen. Filling your heart every bit with that for nothing. I can see Him at night starting to go to bed. And old Judah looks at Reuben and said, you going to take your coat off? He said, no, I think I'll sleep in mine. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. You don't mind, I'm going to sleep in mine. I believe them old boys were overwhelmed with what they received in those coats because Joseph wanted them to know beyond any shadow of doubt, boys, I'm not holding this against you. I love you. I love you. Joseph is like Jesus in that he is forgiving men. He's not just letting bygones be bygones. He's not just putting up with them. But he's saying, boys, I love you. You notice his compassion and how he felt when he saw these boys? Look in chapter 42 and verse 24. The heart of Joseph. The Bible said, And he turned himself about from them and wept. You see that compassion that is there? And wept. Look in chapter number 45 and verse number 1. And two again. The Bible said in verse 1, and he cried. And in verse 2, he wept aloud. On over there in verse number uh, 14 and 15, the Scripture tells us that he wept and, and he wept upon them. His heart is so full of love for these old boys that they realize that not only from the coats, but from the compassion that he has toward them, they are, they're no doubt overwhelmed that he would love them, but he does love them. And I say to you tonight, I am overwhelmed that Jesus loves me, but I promise you, though you may have problems loving me, and I may have problems at times loving you, Jesus has never had a problem, a problem loving this old boy. Ain't that amazing? Jesus has never had a problem loving you tonight. He loves you. He's like, Joseph is like Jesus. He's forgiving men of their sins. And then the last thing I want you to notice, Joseph is like Jesus in that he is calling men by faith. For by grace are you saved, but how? Through the channel is through faith. Through faith. Now faith is not something that you're born with. The Olympics are coming up. They're having the trials for them now. And you often hear that word used and thrown around a lot. Well, I've just got faith. I believe I can do it. I believe I can, I believe I can be the best at it. That's not faith. That's not the Bible faith. Bible faith is not human energy and human effort. But Bible faith is a divine gift and a divine revelation to believe something. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is a gift. God turning a light, you see. 31 years ago, God turned a light on my soul and I said, yes, He did die for my sins. And I do believe that. It's because He turned a light. But now you don't have, you can't go around bragging about your faith. You don't have any. He 
He's the author and the finisher of all faith. Now, a good illustration of that is with the disciples. You remember there in John 6 when Jesus said, uh, have the 5,000 sit down. I calculate there must have been around 25,000 because it said uh, uh, there was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. If they just had three children per family, that would have been 25,000 counting the woman. And he said, have them sit down. We want to feed them. Now, what did the disciples do? They began to calculate and figure out. And they even come upon a young lad that had the five loaves and two fishes. And they said, what is that among so many? They checked the treasure and Judah said, you know, we can't do it. And not a one of them believed that you could feed that multitude. They didn't have the faith. Jesus said, make them sit down anyhow. Now, can you imagine that as these boys began to make this great multitude sit down? And I can see one of them looking at the other. And uh, John says to Simon, said, he said, tell them to sit down. And Simon said, well, what for? We done had the business meeting and there ain't enough. We done figured that out. What we have? He said, I don't know, but he said, have them sit down. And they made him sit down. And here these disciples go, and uh, they, they get the, uh, the bread that Jesus is breaking. And they start out through the crowd with the bread. But now you've got to understand, they don't believe you can feed a multitude with five loaves and two fishes, do they? So how would you act if somebody gave you a piece of of five loaves and said, now start feeding the multitude. I'll tell you how I'd act. I'd say, brother, just get a half one. Huh? Just get you a half one. Sister, just get you a little half one. And let's don't let the kids eat too many. You ladies, just get you a half one. And, and you don't look like you need any. How about you? Get you. Well, wouldn't you? Haven't you ladies ever had, had to do that? I know the old time mamas used to, no doubt. When uh, the preacher come to eat, they was afraid they wasn't going to have enough, so they'd tell the kids, now y'all just hold back until the preacher gets done. Isn't that right? Well, you can see how these disciples felt. They go out through there, and, and they don't want you to take too much, and don't let the young'uns get much. But then they begin to work back through the crowd. And they're back into the crowd now, two or three thousand, and they notice they still got plenty of bread. And I believe by the time that thing was over with, when they was at the back, they were saying, here, take you some home uh, for your grandyoungs. Take you some home uh, for your neighbors. Get a, we, it looks like we're going to have more we can carry. When they got to the back, they were believers. But where did they get their faith? You know where they got their faith? From Him. Because He's the only one's got in. Huh? It's by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus is the one that believes the Father. And a good definition of faith is believing anything Jesus believes. Because He is our faith. Amen? And so we notice in our text that, that Joseph, he wants, his, he wants his daddy to come down. He wants all the brethren to come down. But he realizes he's going to have to pull him by faith. Notice what takes place here in verse number 9 of chapter 45. He says to these boys, Haste ye and go up to my father and say to him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me and tarry not. Look at that. He is calling them. Look in verse 13. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. And of all that ye have seen, ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. He said, I want you to go back and tell dad about everything that you've seen down here. And then he, uh, he sends them on down in verse 24. I, I, look how this takes place, transpires. So we sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. They went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying... Now you've got to understand, this is the same boys that said, 
Joseph's dead. For 22 years they have said, Joseph is dead. That's all he's heard. It's broke his heart. It's took the, jerked the life out of him. Joseph is dead. Now notice what they say. The Bible said, and they told him, saying, Joseph is alive. <laughs> now how's, how's daddy going to believe that? He's not going to believe these boys. They're not worth believing. These scoundrels, you can't believe what they say. And now they're saying all of a sudden, Joseph is alive without any explanation. And they say, he's governor over all the land of Egypt. Now what's Jacob going to say? Well now, boys, I'll tell you, since you said it, I believe it. No, since they said it, he's not going to believe it. And notice what the Scripture said, how, as to how he felt about that. He, he could not believe them. And the Bible said, Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Now, Joseph's not an ignorant man. He knows them boys. He knows their record. He knows what he's been, they've been telling their daddy. And he knows that daddy's not going to believe a word they say. What makes you think that this, this old world is going to listen to what you've got to say. That same door that you knock on, the Jehovah's Witness has been there. To them, what's the difference between you and him? Hmm? What's the difference to this world from a Jew or a Hindu or a Baptist or a Methodist or a Church of Christ or any of the other denominations? What's the difference? As far as this world is concerned, religion is religion. And you expect that they're going to believe you? <laughs> You've lived next door to them too long. You expect they're going to fall for what we have to say? I'm going to tell you something. It takes more than just me and you to convince this world of their condition. And it's going to take more than these boys to convince Joseph, Jacob that Joseph is alive. He does not believe them, and Joseph knows he will not believe them. But notice what the Bible said in verse 27. They're following him around, trying to convince him. They told him all the words of Joseph, but Daddy, Daddy, come on, Daddy, now listen to us. Daddy, please, Daddy, one time, just listen to what we've got to say. Daddy, please, Daddy, Daddy, now listen. Oh boy, he's just a limping around. He don't believe a word they've got to say. And uh, I can see him now. He's on the, he's on the, he's in the living room, and they're following him around, saying, "Daddy, he is alive. He is alive." And he's, of course, he's he's limping because he wrestled with that angel, and he's saying, "No, no, no." And then he pushes the screen door open. And as he pushes the screen door open, he looks outside and he sees wagons as far as the eye can see. And they load it down. And no sooner than he opens that screen door, he just said, No! No! Yes! Yes! He is alive! He is alive! <laughs> you say, Well, preacher, what convinced him? The wagons convinced him that he was still alive. I'm going to tell you, there's only one thing that convince, can convince a sinner that all we're talking about is so, and that's when the Holy Ghost opens their eyes, and they somehow can see the wagons from another country, and they know that He is alive. And then they are convinced, and they are called by faith. And the Scripture tells us here, Jacob is up in age when he goes down into the land of Egypt, but honey, he don't mind it. He gets all his family together, puts them on the wagon, and somebody said, where's the old man going? Somebody else said, well, he talked about moving to Egypt because he said his son was Lord down there and owned and ruled everything. He's a mover now. You know what convinced him? The wagons convinced him. And thank God I'm glad that the Lord sent the Holy Ghost to verify the truth of the Word of God because he knew I wouldn't believe you and you wouldn't believe me. But if the Holy Ghost could show it to you, 
See, I realize that I'm just another preacher coming through. You've heard good preachers, bad preachers, little preachers, big preachers, old preachers, and young preachers. You've heard them all. So why should you believe me? There have been folks in this meeting this week that have left out that have not believed the word I've said. That's all right. There's nothing I can do about that. But thank God there have been some folks that have come in here this week that the Holy Ghost turned the light on and said, that's right. And they left out of here believers, not because of me, but because of the Spirit of God that opened their hearts and let them see. See, the only chance your youngins has got of not going to hell is not your raising them because we all do a pretty poor job, don't we? But the only hope your youngins has got is that the same Holy Ghost that opened your eyes will open your youngins' eyes. Oh, you can raise them up in church and you can teach them to sing and, and put the little pins on them and have them come to Sunday school and even give them some kind of position, but they'll die and go to hell unless the Holy Ghost lets them see the wagons. But if they ever see the wagons, they'll never be the same again. They'll be ready to move out of this old world. I say to you, Joseph, he's like Jesus. And aren't you glad for a Jesus that would call us unto himself, that would speak to our hearts and bring us to the place of repentance? Have you ever seen him? Have you ever repented? Have you ever turned to Christ? Let's stand by him. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of thy word that has been so blessed and abundant this week and for every heart that has received it. I thank you for the many hearts, Lord, that as I preached this week, I could tell that they'd, they'd already seen the wagons before I ever got here. They knew that you were Lord and knew what you'd done for them on the cross. I pray, dear Father, that even tonight that you would touch some sinner's heart that they would realize their need of Christ and turn to Jesus. And we, Lord, as your children, may we praise you for the sacrifice that you made on Calvary and the invitation you gave in salvation. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. And amen.